Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I feel like it's another ass comment, but Jason Jason just called you on your bluff and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. It's Aldwin. It is Aldwin. (laughs) Makeup free because your Instagram post this afternoon was gussied up with makeup as you put on all of the players you put in that (laughs) reel. I thought that it would be the perfect add-on for a fashion reel just to make the boys look their most gorgeous, luscious lashes selves and you tagged them all in the reel i tagged them all you know i would have appreciated a little you know a little kind of banter i thought that curios at the very least would have said something to us for giving him a full face of makeup (laughs) yeah i mean like (laughs) i need a bit more blush on my cheeks (laughs) we'll get him on the show soon enough i'm sure still putting out those vibes (laughs) (laughs) remember us albatrosses remember Rewind back to season one. Uh, okay, so there there is a lot to talk about, but before we hopped on to start recording, we had to um, give a shout out now to Christian Harrison, who sent us a video through Instagram. He likes to send us odds and tods and weird things. Uh, so this particular video was him <laughs> driving in his vehicle, uh, showing us um, him himself jamming out to Backstreet Boys. Yes, and for those of you that watched our interview with Christian Harrison, you know that we asked him what his throwdown song at the karaoke, karaoke bar would be. He said, I want to dance with somebody, Whitney Houston. So I feel like we have that music connection. He feels like every time he hears a gay anthem on the radio, he's pressing that record button and sending us a cute little video. Yeah, and we challenged him to uh, check whether gays are still into Backstreet Boys or not. <laughs> um, speaking of what gays are into, are they into Taylor Fritz, do you think? <laughs> I, okay, I did an IG Live this morning while brushing my teeth, just seeing what people... <laughs> while brushing your teeth? I, I didn't really plan it. It was totally spur of the moment. Okay. But I before I brushed my teeth, I was like, girls, let us know what to cover tonight. And one IG follower was saying, we got into the topic of like gays on the tour and how surprised we are that there's not a person that's kind of waving the LGBTQ plus IA flag for homos everywhere. And we got into the topic of Taylor, who obviously won Indian Wells. And I thought that Taylor gives a bit of a swishy vibe. (laughs) Swishy. Yeah, I I thought he'd be on the team, but... He's got a girlfriend. I mean, that really doesn't... <clears throat> True. Know, these these days. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, keeping up appearances. Um, I have to say, so I don't know about you, when it, when it comes to certain players, you know, when I see them on the docket for matches in a particular day, I don't necessarily gravitate and say, oh, I'm going to make sure to watch their match. 
Taylor is in that category for me or has been in that category for me in terms of a player that I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to watch their match unless, you know, they're perhaps playing a player that I really want to see, you know, Djokovic or Rafa in this case in the final. Um, Even the match with Rublev, I am very sad that I decided not to watch it and then I had to go back and watch it afterwards (laughs) because it turned out to be a really phenomenal match. I don't know if there's other players like that for you. Um, like Taylor is for me, but I am going to put you on the spot because that is an interesting and intriguing question. So what, if you had to boil it down to three things, I'm sure there's a plethora of things that make you want to and not want to watch a player. But if you had to boil it down to three, what would they be that would attract you to watching a particular match? Hmm. That is a good question. I don't know if I've actually legitimately sort of taken the time to think about about that i i think it, ha- it would have to be a matchup so you mm. know when i talked back in the fall wanting to watch um daniel against the french little nugget what's his name <laughs> gaston gaston hugo, hugo gaston yes. yeah hugo gaston i like hugo i think he's like a cute little nugget i love <laughs> his game and i knew he would bring up the energy with that crowd in Paris, um, and Daniil is always entertaining. Mm. I will always gravitate to a match that has Daniil. Um, Felix is Canadian. I'll tend to watch them depending on who or he who he's playing. Dennis is the same. Even Raonic, who's you know a snooze fest in many cases, <laughs> I will I will go to watch his match because he's Canadian. But yeah, I think you know we've talked about this on the show how you know you sort of see a match or two you see a style of game and then you start to sort of connect with the player so that happened with me with Yannick Sinner we talked about him very early on in our show someone you gotta watch he was in the hundreds at the time you thought he was Australian he was actually Italian (laughs) and um, now he's in the well he's in the top 16 or whatever so connection would be your answer. Like if you feel connected to a player, whether it's like nugget quality, they're cute, they look good in a kit, their booty looks good in a kit, um, and just following their journey through their tennis careers, yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like I would maybe watch um, Vesely again because I saw that, you know, bo- that <laughs> that booty in Dubai and maybe I'll check him out again if he's, you know, going to make a nice run. <laughs> that daddy booty for sure <laughs> what about you i'm a monfils girl i've always been a monfils girl um i love his theatrics i love his antics i love his awareness that he's playing also to a crowd i think that makes it super special and in the same vein obviously you know who i'm gonna say nick miss nick curios <laughs> <laughs> love him hate him you know all of our past history with him he's someone that you know if you watch him you you're just as um thrilled watching him on tv as you are live because he really gives it to you and girl we're gonna get into curios in a minute but he did not disappoint this year yeah yeah he didn't disappoint at indian wells uh which he seems to like enjoy coming to america to play uh i i saw his post already he's in miami 
this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to talk about Taylor because he Tay-tay. won Tay Tay, as you called him in our post, because <laughs> uh, he won his first Masters title after making the semifinals in the fall edition of Indian Wells. Uh, came through and beat a, a block of great players, including an undefeated Rafael Nadal. Yeah, I mean, if me be not being a betting, betting woman, but if I was a betting woman, you can bet as hell I would have not put a damn dime on Taylor. I was going to say Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't win either. <laughs> she definitely would have win on Tay-Tay before the IW. But as I, you know, just to kind of connect with our first analogy of our show and following a player's journey, as I watched him kind of progress through the draw... A, I was astounded with his motherfucking forehand. I mean, he even said it himself after a couple of his matches. He just feels so free and just so willing to hit that forehand anywhere and that big serve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I um, I really watched that final with intrigue and interest because honestly, when I posted on our IG asking our followers, girls, who's going to take it? Is going to be Rafa or is going to be Tay-Tay? Ain't nobody voted for Tay-Tay. And I, and I will say this. You are all cheaters because obviously the poll lasts for 24 hours and people voted for Tay-Tay after he won. So don't pretend like you knew that he was going to win. Yeah. No cheaters. Is that why it got up to 10%? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I saw that. It was like, I think there's probably one legit vote for Tay-Tay. Mm-hmm. So whoever it is that voted, good on you. You had said, and I m- completely missed this, that in that sort of wild ending <clears throat> to his semifinal against Rublev, and, you know, Rublev was a bit um, sort of off the wall and frustrated with his own uh, play, that he had actually injured his ankle. I had only sort of really witnessed him cramping towards the end of the match, and he was I'm sure definitely freaking out because he didn't want to go to a third set. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if I was a journalist for the um, Indian Wells Times, I would call it <laughs> drama in the desert because Taylor Fritz. Yes, thank you very much. Applaud, <laughs> applaud. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Taylor Fritz woke up that morning. First, let me backtrack a little bit. Taylor said that whenever he gets these little niggling in- injuries, that he's able to kind of sleep it off and then the next day play his match as he normally would. He thought that of his ankle when he injured it against Rublev in that semifinal, went to bed. Girl, he woke up on that that morning of his final, his first thousand level master series final against a, a, a legend, you know, an arguable goat on a 20 match winning streak only to find that on the practice court, he couldn't push off his right ankle. You know, there's footage of him on that court and he's clearly pissed the F off. And I mean, who wouldn't be? You're, you've gotten all the way to a final against a legend and you might have to forfeit. Honestly, it was not until a couple of hours before the match where he got a little bit more rest went to one of the back courts and started to play and practice again where he felt like, okay, I feel like I could actually push off my ankle. At that point, a doctor numbed his ankle and it was a couple of hours before he clinched his first major, like other than the grand, other than a grand slam, like the next biggest title you could win in tennis. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of considered the fifth slam in a way. This one sort of, and 
Miami being the the poor cousin, I guess, because all the players <laughs> end up having to drop out because they focus on this event first, and then they get a little rundown. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you like his forehand. It's very much like grip and rip. Like you don't know necessarily that it's going to happen, and then he just unloads. Ex- uh, I don't know if you can expound on that more, but literally, I was trying to figure out for tonight's episode, how do I discuss the mechanics of his forehand? Because it clearly does not have kind of an exaggerated backswing. It doesn't have, it doesn't seem like it has a lot of preparation. It seems like he like loads it in like half a second and just unfurls. And all of a sudden you just generate all of this topspin. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Obviously he was sentimental favorite in the fall when he made the semifinal so it's nice Mm -hmm. he lives sort of in the area in california Mm -hmm. or is from there so um you know big congratulations we've tried to infuse our show with a bit more discussion of the americans who are up and coming and who's going to be the next to take the rotic mantle and the agassi mantle which is further further yesteryear (laughs) um (laughs) So it's just nice to see more more of these guys, the Opelkas, the Fritzes. Um, you know, there's a, a bit of a longer list now. We only used to talk about the women. Right. And now the men are making their move. One thing that I learned about Taylor that I thought was worth mentioning, you know, I think it's important sometimes to talk about pedigree. And, you know, it's really fascinating to me that I had no idea. I mean, maybe I didn't do enough research, but in this Indian Wells final, we find out that his mom was a former WTA player and did actually phenomenally well. And they and they described his father as, I, I think it's either you or Wade, they, you hate this title that they give certain players, but they call him a journeyman. Okay. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I mean, I think we've talked about, you know, Elder States person or whatever. We we don't necessarily like that. Yeah. And so his, both of his parents were tennis professionals and he played the Easter bowl. He did the whole run of the mill with the juniors. And so his talent is not surprising, but I guess people blossom at different times to me, 24, even though it's insanely young. And I know this because there's a 24 year old on my dodgeball team that I'm trying to, you know, Get it with. You know, get it with, exactly. I was trying to find a funny thing to say. But anyway, 24 is young. But I think in terms of like breaking through in tennis, it's a bit, a little bit over the hill. A little bit over the hill. I mean, you look at players like Yannick Sinner and you know, I know a bunch of other players and they're kind of breaking through in their early 20s or have been talked about. But like you said, what an amazing achievement for Tete. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's much else to say. It'll be interesting. <laughs> Do you know if he's still um, or, or if he's going to be playing Miami? Very good question. So when he was talking uh, in his post-match interview about the possibility of going to Miami, as all players do, and you know that we have covered this on the podcast <laughs> seven zillion times, I will give you, I will actually e-transfer you $20 if you can tell me the golden sentence that all players say when they are going to share an update about their physical sorry yeah their physical health Hmm. and whether they'll play a tournament or not i think i got this (laughs) okay go ahead we'll have to wait and see 
<laughs> okay, you're going to get $10 because he did say we'll have to wait and see. But he also said, I'll have to... Consult my doctors. Consult my team. <laughs> I'll have to consult my medical team and we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Why doesn't he just consult that practice court that caused the ankle to feel better? Listen, if it were me and I just won the biggest tournament of my life and I have that model girlfriend and I'm going to Miami... Girl, I'm going to bounce to Miami and hit the club. Hit the beach and hit the club. <laughs> I mean, I mean the beach. Hit that bottle service. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, the person who's probably about to get bottle service on his yacht would be Rafa because he's going to be out for six weeks. Oh, sad? Are I, we? I mean, I've, I've been feeling a bit more his journey and his return and this undefeated streak i've been you know it's hard to not be impressed with that whether you like him or not you you have to appreciate just his level of play his the effort that he puts in the sportsmanship that he has uh, the you know that match with um alcarez in the wind was just ridiculous ridic all of you rafael nadal fans I hope that you will go back and re-listen to all of the accolades that Jason has just attributed to your man because I don't know that Jason has been so nice to him. I know like <laughs> you're I know that of the three, he's your least favorite, but I agree with you. Like his twenty match win streak, winning Australia, especially when no one expected him to, amidst the drama, the quarantine drama that Djokovic kind of was enmeshed in, really kind of the cream of the crop stepped above the rest and it's yeah what an incredible beginning of his season yeah and uh the the forehand that he hit in the alcarez match that seemed to cause him the challenge of the the it looked like a pec injury but i guess it's a a rib injury he initially said it felt like a pectoral strain but in sharing with everyone that he was going to be out four to six weeks his medical team (laughs) (laughs) kudos to the team Kudos to the team. If you can have afford di- it. <laughs> <laughs> have diagnosed it as a crack in his rib. Oh. Mm. Yeah, that's not good. Ooh. I mean, his forehand is very whippy. And if I recall, that was sort of like a mid-court shot that he had to move forward to. And it was crazy windy. That second set, particularly that second set, I was like, how are these guys playing? I mean, the bottles that Nadal has positioned <laughs> so beautifully were blowing all over the court. I am. I haven't spoken with you at actually at all about the matches that have taken place at IW, which is crazy because we have a podcast that talks about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know you've been insanely busy at work, but I did think of you when I was watching the Alcaraz match because, as you know, we called Alcaraz the future of clay, and I think we can kind of change that moniker now. He seems to be the future of tennis. And back when he played Rafa at the French Open a couple years ago, people were literally dragging us, being like, girl, you can't call him the future of clay. He's done nothing yet. (laughs) So what did you think Alcaraz's chances were coming into the semi? Did you think he had more of a chance? I I definitely think he had more of a chance. I mean, if you go back to when they first competed, which I think was Rome last year. Okay. I didn't know anything about 
Alcaraz at the time, but I think people were were talking about him at that time, and he lost fairly easily to Nadal, mm-hmm. I think, in that particular match. But he's had you know such a run; he's won two titles now. So yeah, he's he's definitely uh, someone to watch. And just when I watched when even when I watched that first game, and when he hit that. Um, that first winner to win the first game, I was like, shit, this match is on. <laughs> he wanted to send a statement yeah. quick. Yeah. No respect, no love loss. Yeah, it's hard to argue with the fact that he will be, he will replace Nadal as like the the top Spanish player and he will be up there for many, many years. Do you think that he's going to follow Spanish tradition and include his middle name? You know, the Spanish tradition of having three names, RBI, RBA. Is there an RBI? <laughs> no, I don't think <laughs> there's an a RBI. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think he's going to include his middle name? Because it's funny. Some publications include his middle name and some don't. They just call him Carlos Alcaraz. What is his middle name? I don't remember. I, I was afraid that you were going to ask me. But he definitely <laughs> has a middle name that... You know some, you know some outlets out there use, but I, I think know. if he wanted that, he would be, that would be on his ATP, uh, ATP profile, and he would be asking that for that to be used. I think you know RBA and and Carina Busta, they've they that's that's their shtick. And isn't there like a something Bayena? There's like a yes. Yes, Carlos, Carlos something. <laughs> so there's the three named Spaniards who win zero Grand Slams and the two <laughs> named Spaniards who are going to win multiple Grand Slams. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully um, he's able to make it back to where he performs the best, which is on clay. Mm-hmm. It looks like Joko is going to get to defend his title at the French Open. So it would be nice to see another barn burner rematch depending on how the the um seedings fall at the french open and see them compete yeah rafa his medical team has asked (laughs) him to (laughs) has asked him to not hit a ball for four weeks and madrid which is his next tournament is in six so there's a two-week turnaround there for him to be practicing on clay i mean if there's anyone it's rafa who's gonna do well so agreed yeah i mean he's proven to be able to come back from injury and do well quickly yes exactly um i guess a a sidebar since we did mention joko uh who hasn't been playing he will be going back to the number one ranking (laughs) it was was not a good week yeah (laughs) it's not it's not a good week for to be Russian, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect way of saying it. <laughs> uh, I presume he'll be in Miami, though. I think he is. I yeah. think I saw him in the draw. So yeah, he has yeah, to. Yeah. I presume he has a chance to get get the number one ranking back, perhaps if he does well mm-hmm. there. I don't. I can't remember. I think I read something that if he makes like the third round or something, he will take it take it back again. Yeah, and he's shown his desire to stay up there. So I think he's got a lot to prove. And I think he's going to really take it to him. Yeah. Honestly. I agree. He he already has more weeks of number one than Patrick Rafter. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to stick with the men and talk about our boy Kyrgios? 
I think we 100% sh- should. Yeah. Let let me introduce this segment of our show by saying that this again this morning I did my IG live and when I asked our followers to share some ideas to talk about tonight, one of our IG followers said, "Curios, is he good or bad for tennis?" He's such a polarizing figure and this tournament I think embodied that. I was all team Curios. You know, especially after having shared his mental health struggles, the struggles that he's had with his, with dealing with his mother's health and how he's been on the brink of, like, quitting tennis and how amazing he did at this tournament. Like, everyone likes a good comeback, and <laughs> we all like a good comeback. <laughs> and uh, Kyrgios did it this time. So I was, I don't know how you felt, but I was, like, so happy to see him play up to his potential. Yeah, I think what I appreciate about him which he has told us before many times is that tennis is entertainment you if you bring eyeballs to the sport in any way shape or form that is good for the sport and he's probably somebody that people who don't follow tennis particularly well will know if they follow ben stiller they probably know who Nick Curios is after this week. <laughs> it's true. Because Absolutely. Of, yeah, because of that um, that Rafa match where he called him out and he said, you th- I don't tell him how to act. Because <laughs> <laughs> the audience member tried to t- tell him how to serve or something. <laughs> so, yeah, he is polarizing for sure. We've dragged him because we feel like and mostly because we feel like he's not reaching the potential that he has because he's quite a talented player obviously he has all of the shots and we know that he could be doing more and he could be winning slams if he could block out all the other Mm. all the other stuff but you could see in that match with Rafa that when shit gets turns Mm. at like five all that's when he starts to like amp it up like he was good he, he's good up to like four three <laughs> four all but when it gets sort of close to the ends of the sets that's where he starts to get the volatility starts to come out and you could see it in the tie break and he was down six love and he did something and he lost the final point in the tie break and lost the tie break seven love yeah i mean i replayed that point and it seemed like the umpire called him on a verbal obscenity yes and so it was like a you know amanda anisimova blowout seven zero in the tie break um i think it's worth mentioning that when he lost that match my favorite curious moment is when he lost that match not not to be shady <laughs> but he takes his racket and slams it on the ground <laughs> you remember this yeah all of the media outlets say that he almost hit a ball boy, like a Yelena Ossipenko moment from many years back. <laughs> and in his... <laughs> this is just so funny to me. And so typically Nick. In his post-match interview, a journalist asks him, how do you feel about hitting a ball boy? <laughs> and he's like, hit him. I hit, I threw my racket onto the ground. Was it my intention to hit him? No. And the racket skidded and landed three meters away from him. So what are you talking about me hitting a ball boy? And he's like, but you know what? Honestly, great journalism. And he gives him like one of these. (laughs) Slow clap. (laughs) Like, leave it to Nick to keep it 100% and make that fucking journalist feel stupid. (laughs) I got to go watch that. 
uh, such a good moment. My favorite. <laughs> he's obviously good for the sport. Um, he's got a little rankings boost, so he's getting close to top 100 again. <laughs> he won't have to do those wild cards anymore. And um, yeah, I mean, he's talked to towards the end of last year. He was talking about retiring and, you know, he was saying that this is going to be la- my last labor cup or whatever. And, yeah. you know, we hope that that's not the case. Um, we just need to enjoy him doing well at these smaller tournaments because he's mostly going to get beaten in the third round of Grand Slams. <laughs> <laughs> just being real. We were just so nice to him. And then... <laughs> Come on our show, Nick. <laughs> oh, too good. Too good. Um, okay, where do we go now? Oh, too good. Uh, Iga. <laughs> Hello. Iga. Iga, I, I mean, I I said it in a couple of the stories this week. I don't think that there's been a more dominating... Okay, I'm as I'm saying that, I'm actually changing my mind. Not since Steffi's forehand, not since Serena's serve, has there been a more dominating shot. And I am really kind of taken aback with how insanely good Iga's forehand is. And I know a lot of you will come in and say, girl, she can spray that forehand. It can go all over the place. But realistically, so was Steffi's forehand. But she still managed to... That was the shot that was the crux of her winning all of her matches. And Iga's forehand this week, I think, should be enshrined in like the Tennis Hall of Fame because she just killed it she killed all of her opponents with it she's another grip and rip but she grip grips and rips every ball <laughs> every ball have you seen some of these still photos of her where she like does a rafa lasso and she's like it looks like she's riding like a, a bull it's like insane the mm-hmm. kind of movement she gets it's crazy yeah she posts some of those photos on ig because she mm-hmm. i don't know if she likes herself that much but um yeah it's just impressive i do recall People dragging her after she won the French Open and saying she's never going to win on hard court. She's not as good. You know, she made the fourth round of the U.S. Open that year or whatever. Um, she's not she's never going to be that good on hard court. And here she are. She, here she is winning two WTA 1000 events in a row. So eat that. Yeah, this girl's on an 11 match winning streak. I will say going into the final because we have talked about the need for her to find a therapist. Remember, we said, listen, Alden's starting therapy. If you, I can give you recommendations on some therapists, Maria Sachary, because <laughs> she has had that obstacle of like overcoming that quarterfinal, semifinal situation. Here she is in the semifinal, taking out the defending champ in Bedosa. Feels like she, she feels like she like overcame that obstacle, and. She just unfortunately had a crazy, windy day to play in her final. And the Maria Sakari forehand compared to the Iga forehand is much more flat. So uh, for someone that's already kind of erratic and can kind of get nervous, the wind definitely was not in her favor. And all of the odds were stacked against her. But I felt like this was still a step in the right direction to make a big WTA final like she did. Full kudos to the team, Tom Hill. Tom Hill, acknowledge our messages. (laughs) Right? 
you did you guys did such a great job it's actually it's funny because when i asked some of our you know i don't know how we would call them but like just people that are watching us on ig what is the deal with maria and not taking it to that next level i.e winning that 1000 level masters title a lot of people are saying that the team around her is young but I don't know what that has to do with her winning and not winning. Like, who cares if they're young? You know what I mean? People are like, oh, she needs to get with Carlos Rodriguez. She needs to get with Darren Cahill. She needs to get with um, Moradoglu. I'm like, who cares? I mean, I don't know that age has anything to do with her not clinching titles. Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting argument. I don't know that it... I I tend to agree with you. I don't think it has anything to do with it. I I suspect that she's probably doing quite well as a result of their coaching, and that's why she is consistently making semifinals and now finals of big tournaments. And she just uh, needs uh, um, to. You, you, you hear that, Emirata Kanu? Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's coachless at the moment. I don't know. Um, she she just needs to have a breakthrough moment. Unfortunately. On Sunday, she is just outmatched against a player like Iga uh, until she's able to develop, you know, a a few more weapons. She might have a little bit more variety than Iga, Mm -hmm. perhaps, but Iga's forehand is strong. Iga's backhand is almost as strong. Mm-hmm. And she can place that serve pretty well. And she's not a, she's not afraid to grip and rip. So, yeah, I mean, when you have that much spin on your forehand, that's why I've so desperately tried to develop a top spin forehand. You can rip on that ball and feel confident it's going to land in the court every time. And I don't think that Zachary felt that on Saturday on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think she'll have more chances, and you know. It could be that if she dumps Tom Hill and goes with Darren Cahill, she might win a title. But, um, you know, Simona has dumped Darren Cahill and gone with (laughs) a team with Patrick Moradoglu. And uh, she's got a little bit of a different demeanor going on on the court, I would say. I am so curious because you did mention this to me and I'm just really dying for your insights. I mean, Halep to me has always... She has had a string of kind of negative... She can get down on her. She has had a history of getting down on herself in matches. But, like, what are you noti- What did you notice about her during this Indian Wells? I just felt like she has a renewed vigor and she wants it again. Uh, mm. And maybe that's instilled from the new team. Definitely she's giving emotion throughout the match, negative and positive. She... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one of the critiques we've had about her is when she's losing or not playing well, she rushes. Yes. And she moves absolutely too quickly. Um, so, yeah, I just sensed a different energy with her. Um, she got pumped up when she was winning points. You know, she was close to um, taking that first set against Iga. I think she was up. She had two set points in that first mm-hmm. set and she lost the next four and lost the set. So she she could have easily, um, I guess, have taken that match if she won the first set. And she has uh, an equal, maybe slightly less weapons than Iga, but um, she definitely had a better chance against Iga than Zachary did. So 
I uh, want to continue to see how this progresses. She is a journey woman, I guess, on the women's tour, <laughs> being 30 mm-hmm. now. And, uh, you know, we want to see more. And some of our listeners want to see more from Simona. I think that her team sat her down and said, you are too good to just be a two slam winner. You are not Mary Pierce. (laughs) (laughs) You need to win a couple more slams under your belt. I agree with you 100%. I think that this tournament really uh, has reignited a passion and a belief in her that she can get deep in draws again. To me, she's this... To me, she's this player that should get more credit at the beginning of a tournament in terms of eyes on her. But for whatever reason, because of her injury, she just hasn't done much. I think that... I mean, I don't know that she's going to do much in Miami, but I would say watch out for her for the French Open. Yeah. Yeah, I think she she's probably happy to sort of live a bit under the radar, especially over the next couple of months as she starts to rebuild her ranking she's was seated i think 24 Mm -hmm. uh in indian wells i think she's 23 in miami so um i mean she's definitely gonna do better than sabalenka who's ranked number (laughs) seated number one oh god oh my god arena come on our show i mean it doesn't help when one of our ig uh followers sends us like on court (laughs) on-court videos of her like double faulting it's just so hard to watch yes we still want we still love you and you know when when i was on your ig live and you said maybe i'll come on your show we would like the answer to be yes (laughs) (laughs) i i popped in with a question i was like you come on our show she's like well maybe she didn't know who I was, but please, you're ranked number one. Okay. Have we mm. talked enough about the ladies? Is there anyone else um, on the ladies' side that you want to talk about from <laughs> from Indian Wells? Like, what about uh, what about Layla? Layla lost to um, Badosa. Badosa, correct? yeah. I was really impressed with Layla's play, especially after coming after coming off of Monterey. Remember we talked last year and like, oh, we don't know whether Layla could be a player to challenge at the higher level tournaments. Like she could be like a a multiple two hundred fifty level tournament winner, but could she defend or could she do well in Indian Wells? I mean, she lost to an informed Bedosa and obviously made the final of the U.S. Open last year. I was very impressed with her play, and like you and I both said, after her her win in Monterey, I think this is going to propel her forward, and she's going to continue to contend like deeper and deeper in draws. So happy to see her do well. Yeah, and I think you know you and I have followed her even before she won her first tournament in Monterey last year. Mm-hmm. If you watch her final in Monterey last year, and mm. you watch any of her matches. Uh, this year or like at the US Open she is a 100% better player than she was when she won that first tournament Mm -hmm. and she's only going to get better yeah yeah so don't anyone drag her she's gonna be (laughs) she's gonna be amazing I I feel like we know somebody who said that she's a flash in the pan and she ain't 
Oh yeah. Well, we won't. We won't. We won't reveal that person. You know who you are. <laughs> we know you're listening here Wednesday morning to our show as you make your coffee. I pre- <laughs> I prepared a little quiz for you because oh, Indian Wells being uh, I would consider the fifth Grand Slam. Tennis and we'll just paradise. Ha- Tennis paradise. Yes. Half of the sunshine double. Yes, that's us. So this tennis quiz, <laughs> this tennis quiz has to do with the two winners of IW this year. Okay. So, Shviantek, Iga is the youngest player to claim five WTA titles since which female player? It's got to be Monica Seles. Okay. Martin- later. Martina Hingis. Later. Later, 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 later. Later, like earlier? As in like um, 2000s, mid-2000s. She recently retired, now has a baby, has a beautiful husband. Kim Kleisters? No. Warmer. Justine Hannon? (laughs) (laughs) Carol Wozniacki. Oh, okay. Carol Wozniacki. I forgot about her. (laughs) <laughs> next question next question who is the last woman to complete the sunshine double oh this is a player victoria you... azarenka wow i'm so impressed come on don't don't say that alduin's the wtx per bitches <laughs> you just you just heard that fact and retained it in your memory i yeah i kind i think i I don't know. I just remembered that for some reason. I'm very impressed. Wow. Kudos to you. (laughs) Okay. Fritz, Taylor Fritz, Tay-Tay, is the youngest player to win Indian Wells since who won it in 2011? I wanted to give you kind of a a reference in terms of year. On the men's side? On the men's side. Tay-Tay is the youngest player to win IW since who won it in 2011? Wow. This 2011. Is... Oh, uh, maybe it's obvious in my mind, but... <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's so few players. I mean, I, I need to think of this uh, in terms of the fact that there's so few players who have won masters 1000 events other than the big three okay very good so (laughs) who among the big three would have been youngest at that time who among the big three yes Djokovic Djokovic is the correct answer wow he only won his first 1000 event in 2011 Mm-hmm. Well, Indian Wells. Shit. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Indian Wells. Gotcha. Okay, last question. Hmm. Who is the last American to win an ATP Masters 1000 title? So not Indian Wells specifically, but a thousand level title. Last American to do it. I mean, it's got to be Andy Roddick, no? No, babe. Oof. Marty Fish? Oh, wow. Really going into the vault. (laughs) The vault. 
this person's gonna get pissed when you when he finds out that you didn't choose him. Not that he listens, but <laughs> I mean, it's a player that is clearly not on your roster of people that you want to watch tennis matches. <laughs> Going back to that. <laughs> wow. So it's it's more recent, is what you're saying. Oh my god, I'm so nervous for you. If you, <laughs> if you don't get this, you're gonna get dragged to film. Oh no. <laughs> okay, not Marty Fish. <laughs> not Andy Roddick. More recent than that. Think of like an acclaimed title winning American player that would have won a Master Series title in the last few years. Few. Few means like you can count them on one hand. Oh, Jack Sock. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. He won Paris no. Masters in 2017. Why okay, I remember a... that, I don't know. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, don't have to compensate. <laughs> <laughs> the year after, an American player won in Miami. Man. I... Uh, this is so good. John Isner. This, I... John Isner. Shit. <laughs> Shoot. I love that you said Marty Fish. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Marty. So Go, Marty. Go, Marty. Go, <laughs> Marty. He is the Davis Cup coach now, I believe. No? Um, okay. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I only got that from listening to Patrick's uh, podcast. Gotcha. Okay, you have another um, bit that you wanted to talk about, which you've called best and worst kits. You are always on top of this. We talked about one of the best last week, which is obviously Rafa's. The amazing sort of color combination, the infusion of navy, the sort of trim of the shorts, the matching shoes. It's all on fleek on fleek let me start by saying that uh, we acknowledge that these kits were first debuted at the australian open so don't drag us for being late on this however a few people have mentioned girl you all have to talk a little bit about the fashion so here we go <laughs> i'm gonna start by saying that tay looked amazing in his nike kit i love that red on him i think that shadow swoosh you know how they're doing like that double check situation looks really good Um, And that color in particular looked really good on him. However, I would like to focus on three players who have changed sponsorships recently. Maybe one of them didn't. And how terrible their kits were (laughs) at IW. So very quickly, Berrettini is now the exclusive representative for the Boss brand. Exclusive means nobody else. No one, no other player wears Boss other than Berrettini. So Hugo Boss being a German brand recently rebranded themselves as Hugo, which is the kind of dressier version of the brand and Boss, which is the athletic version. They happen to put Berrettini in like literally the most basic, basic top you can imagine. Like who is getting paid hundreds of thousands of euros to design a purple top like I could do give me the hundreds of thousands of euros (laughs) the only advantage here is that it's eggplant color and it obviously makes us very intrigued for that reason it translates to an emoji that we might use for an IG post of some sort an IG post a message on grinder yeah 
what have you talk about being a boss if you're the only one like that's true boss so, okay see there like someone hired jason patterson in literally five seconds he figured out a way better <laughs> like tagline moniker for berrettini like that's so genius and ill to the de- current designer and ill to the team like get him in something better <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know figure out whether he should actually wear a backwards hat like maybe that's not his look either <laughs> I, I i'm not i'm not mad at it i'm not mad at it and maybe he should work out his legs just a little bit <laughs> agreed <laughs> okay i am going to quickly talk about two other male players um monfils used to be sponsored by uh asics and i thought he looked really smart in his kits he looked always kind of very fashionable he's now um he now represents a french line called artengo which is the in-house tennis brand for the sporting goods store decathlon and they literally put monfils in a white t-shirt you could buy at walmart and black shorts (laughs) they overprinted (laughs) you I, i mean i don't know whether we're going to divulge what our previous kind of um passions or initial kind of reason for doing the podcast is. But let me just say, Jason and I in two minutes could think of a better, could design a better outfit for a legend of the sport like Monfils, a showman of the sport like Monfils. Yeah, I think we did already. <laughs> we, we, should get, we, should, we should take a look at that fabric. Yeah, let's do it. Let's look at it. <laughs> and the last male player I want to talk about and that's going to be my wrap-up, unless you want to talk about Ostapenko and the fact that she's still not sponsored and is wearing a hot mess of a kit. Wait, is Jensen Brooksby's new sponsor called Homo? <laughs> okay, so that is the person I really desperately want to talk about. Wait, okay, so educate me. Jensen Brooksby was formerly sponsored or formerly wore who? I thought Nike? he wore Nike. So did I. Yeah. So did I. Someone check us on that. Well, apparently now he's sponsored by RBC. Did you see that? Yes. Patch in his arm. I did know that he was sponsored by RBC. Another player who is, is Mackie McDonald. Gotcha. Okay. Well, good on RBC. Thank you for the Canadian content. But of, of American he, players. <laughs> he, he is now spo- newly sponsored by Uomo Sport, not Homo Sport, Uomo Sport. And... I'm not even kidding you. I could go and fish out in the back of my closet a navy blue crew neck t-shirt that you and I probably bought at Uniqlo 25 years ago <laughs> that looks way better than what he was wearing. Yeah. So boring. Ew. Like, let's step it up, y'all. Ew. And that's me from the fashion corner. That's all I have to say. I really, I, I'm all good. I, we don't need to cover the women, but like the men were very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good choice. Good, bad cho- choices. <laughs> okay i don't know whether you're going to segue into this but i wanted to introduce this next segment of our show (laughs) go for it are you laughing because you know what i'm going to (laughs) say i mean maybe jason messaged me last night and he (laughs) i like that we can talk about it because it makes for good content and we're obviously best friends and (laughs) i love you like that Jason messaged me on the show. I uh, messaged me on the show. Messaged me via text yesterday, sending me a link to an article. <laughs> uh, was it the Maria Sharapova article, or was it? It yes, was. Yes, it was the Sharapova one. And 
So in brief, the Maria Sharapova article was about how she was dragged for a statement that she made in which she said that she was um, uh, incredibly disturbed. I'm paraphrasing here. Incredibly disturbed by the um, conflict, I believe were her choice words, that is going on between Ukraine and Russia and that she is donating to a particular foundation, I think has to do with children, in order to support the quote unquote crisis. Okay. Yeah. And um, she was dragged for that because she didn't call it a war. Now, I, <laughs> being uh, you know, in therapy and you were triggered, going, th- <laughs> going through all of my kind of like um, get to it, work, girl. You were triggered. <laughs> I was a hundred percent triggered, and I literally messaged Jason back and I was like. What you know? What? Let me pull that shit off. You, because it, <laughs> this is what he said. <laughs> is this really our vibe? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's topical. It's interesting. Uh, you know, we can call it, we can just call it for what it is, and which is stupid. Like, the woman <laughs> clearly is giving to the cause of supporting Ukrainian children and, like, uh, refugees and because she didn't get the semantics right of, of calling it a war and called it a crisis we're forgetting the fact that she's probably donating hundreds of thousands of dollars of her shmoney. Yes. Yeah. So we should, we should call it stupid. That's, and you know, it would be like a one minute segment like it is right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all that to say that like, I fucking gave it to her (laughs) because I do want to go back to our dialogue and I was so bitchy to Jason because <laughs> I was clearly triggered. And I was like, honestly, it's not something I care to discuss on the show. He's And he's like, I sense a little annoyance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all that to say that, um, you know, when you're, when you're tennis partners, when you're podcast partners, <laughs> there are clearly things that each of us are uh, looking to chat about. That is something that I am not necessarily passionate about, but I recognize is something that people want to hear us comment on. So we managed to parlay a very, (laughs) you know, a domestic dispute. (laughs) So it was a domestic. (laughs) It was a domestic into a cute little segment. And, you know, as I mentioned to you before, I'm glad that you um, called me out on my bullshit and <laughs> and that we could talk about it on the show. <laughs> Let's just say in that message, I read the tea leaves in <laughs> in your in the sentiment of what you your care your care factor about this particular topic. <laughs> he did say you did say, well, you know, there was another source that agreed with us when it came to like, you know, the whole thing about banning Russian players from playing tournaments unless they didn't, unless they proved their, they didn't have an allegiance to Putin. And I said, cool, period. <laughs> yeah. Let's give ourselves a clap, period. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I sensed she was annoyed. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I think probably there's a lot of people who listen to our show who would say, yes players from russia should be banned i actually think there's been people who have actually messaged us um really when we've when we when i did that uh, reel about um um what's her ukraine yeah um um svitolina Svitolina. people Mm -hmm. were like yes they should be banned and i i just don't agree with that you can't get me on board with that 
I mean, the, I would, yeah, I would agree with you. And actually, it does make for polarizing issues, although triggering for me, clearly make it um, very an, an interesting discussion. I, I just have to learn how to, like, disassociate myself from the triggering <laughs> aspects of that topic. The trigger effect. <laughs> totally. Another potential polarizing topic that we will end the show with, which quietly, I think, went under the radar in and amongst Indian Wells was the slams Mm. announcing collectively a move in the immediate term. Uh, I think they called it a trial, but they're going to all trial doing a 10 point super tie break in the final set. I think that's a big deal. Like what I mean, they were all doing something different people. I think, I thought it was kind of cool, actually, that all of them did something different, because then you get to experience sort of different approaches. Uh, Obviously, everyone felt it was challenging for the players and and challenging for the health of the the players and their ability to move forward in the draw if this final set just went on and on and on. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, I would think tennis purists, perhaps like myself, loved the idea of what Wimbledon went forward with, which is 12 points, uh, traditional tiebreak at 12 all in the final set. And it's something now we will never see again. We will only have the memory of Roger and Novak in 2019. And maybe that was the way it was meant to be because it was such a perfect, like what a perfect way to actually debut that to have it happen in a final. Yeah, I mean, like, immediately I think of um, Roger and Andy, that Wimbledon final, where Andy was so close to beating Federer. Obviously, Ivanisevich versus Rafter. I mean, there were so many iconic matches that went past the tiebreak in the fifth set that just had so much drama attached to it. So to not see that again, I mean, I can count endless women's matches, those particularly of Steffi Graf, where she went past the tie break and, you know, went to 8-6 against Sabatini, for example, in the 91 um, Wimbledon final. So to not see that again is kind of sad. But I think, I don't know, I am not so perturbed by the change because I think that it gives players, I do, I think it gives players something to expect when they head into um, a tournament. They know that it's not going to, like... <laughs> It's gonna. It's not gonna end up like a Mahu Isner situation, right? Yeah. Um, and it does bring its own level of drama. Yeah. You got to win this in a tiebreak, otherwise you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, I do remember the first year they um, introduced the super tiebreak at the Australian Open. It was sort of an exciting new element. I remember watching a match with Kei Nishikori when it first the first year they had that rule and he forgot that it was a super tie break. It was like he, he had, <laughs> he had gotten to like seven, five or something and he, he had actually forgotten. So it does add another element. And I think for the players, it just adds a level of predictability. Like, you know, that each tournament is the same and you don't, when each of them were different, which they were up until this announcement came up. 
you you had to sort of recall oh okay at the french open it could go to 1614 in the final set and oh at wimbledon it could go <laughs> to 12 all and oh in at the us open it's a traditional seven point tie break at the final set so mm-hmm. i mean i'm just thinking about some of the breakfast at wimbledon's that you've hosted in previous years and how like you know how exciting it could have been to like be gripped at uh, like in your seats when it's like six all and they've got a br- someone's got a break to win to win the whole thing but at least you don't have to host guests for very much longer because you know <laughs> it's gonna you know you know you can kick them the f out yeah <laughs> after the tie break well that chillich match was right quick against federer so <laughs> uh yeah we hopefully they'll be a little bit longer than that so but yeah i thought it was interesting and we'll see how that goes i mean the french open is the first slam coming up and it's an immediate change so it'll be i think a big change for that that tournament and especially on clay when play can last for hours and hours and hours i think it's you know good in terms of scheduling for sure for sure all right well um speaking of scheduling I am scheduling a vacation for next week, so I will not be here. And you are flying solo. Oh, je suis nerveux. <laughs> Does that mean you did not agree? No, I'm nervous. Oh, I'm nervous. you will be fine. You are a super... I have to say, I'll say right now, you are super talented. Oh, you stop. are very, very good at this. Um, you could do the show without me, and you will next week. Girl, well, it we will miss you. I will say, though, of anyone that I know, you and your partner deserve a vacation. Fuck, bitch. <laughs> so I and the rest of our Ready Play Tennis podcast followers wish you and your partner, Wade, a marvelous, wine-filled expedition. Do you want to share with everyone where you're going? We are going. It's... It's a city that's also a very cheap luncheon meat that you can buy at the grocery store. I'll leave it at that. Would Do you think our followers would, would like me to randomly inject a picture of where we are to our Babe, IG? A billion percent. <laughs> I mean, listen, I was going to say, I don't, I, you know, everyone deserves a vacation. You determine your level of like, wanting to uh, be on the show and like the stories but if you want to do a, a cute fucking story from wherever you're at with wade and i think ig followers would love 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 that if so i do it if i come across a tennis court i'll definitely do something <laughs> you're All not right. bringing a racket though no no okay. wade is a terrible tennis player <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so i'll be off next week but i'll see you in dos weeks arrivederci <laughs> We're here for your tennis or your tentertainment, or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast. <laughs>